Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Michael Preston. The whole first half just kind of felt like one big Jim Ross, like, highlight video, didn't it? I mean, that felt really... We'll talk about this in a minute, but that's what it felt like. They scored on every drive and probably should have even scored a touchdown on the drive. They had a field goal on. Should have had 49 points in that first half. Welcome to the Cougs Center Hour. This week's edition before the Arizona game, after the Oregon State game. We're going to talk about the Arizona Wildcats with Jason Bartell from AZ Desert Swarm, our own SB Nation site that covers the Wildcats, a team that, uh, you know, we don't really know a lot about right now. It's kind of, uh, you know, they got whooped by some teams in the conference and they're taking care of business against others. So we'll find out what Jason knows uh, about the Arizona Wildcats coming up in a bit. We're also going to talk about uh, a little uh, phenomenon we saw last Saturday night when the University of Washington played Oregon, and I realize it's been a number of days since this happened, but I want to vocalize my feelings uh, on something I find to be very important when it comes to who you can root for in a given college football game. You're allowed to root for anybody, but um, we'll we'll get to that here in a little while. Uh, and as usual, our Dunderhead of the Week and ask... Michael, anything on this latest edition of the Kook Center. But let's go over... Boy. (laughs) That was about as good of a first... About as good a half of football as I've seen in my time watching Washington State football. And admittedly, not as long a time as many people. I've been watching it for maybe about 10 years now. Um, But that's as good a half of football... I think that we've ever seen. We haven't seen WSU thoroughly dominate a FBS team like that since they played UNLV in Pullman uh, in 2011, but I would probably put it to you that this performance uh, greatly outdid that one because UNLV in 2011 was an awful football team. They were a really, really bad football team. Uh, and Oregon State, while not being a very good football team, uh, I think still is certainly much better than that 2011 iteration of UNLV. I haven't checked uh, Bill Connolly's S&P Plus or the F-plus on it, but I can almost say with complete certainty Oregon State is better this year than UNLV was that year. And I think the more important thing that we saw uh, on Saturday from this football team was they finally put together a half of football, and the air raid looked exactly how it should look. I'm not going to expect them to ever score on seven straight drives like that again, unless it is against a really bad team. But everything really and truly was clicking completely well on that. The ball, when it was run, was being run effectively for eight to ten yards at a time. Luke Falk was hitting all his windows. He was completing most of his passes. He was looking off his receivers. He was going through his progressions. Receivers were making great catches. They were doing incredible things in one-on-one coverage. Falk was finding holes in the zone. Literally everything that you expect out of the air raid, you got for 30 minutes last Saturday against Oregon State. You got literally everything you would expect out of the air raid offense on that day. And that led some people, we had a couple of comments as well as Mike Leach changed his offense. He knows he needs to go run heavy. Mm-mm. It's just finally looking like how it should have looked all along. When the air raid is at its most effective, 
about a quarter of its yards are coming from the running game because when you pass, 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 and finally you set up the defense, they're selling out to defend the pass, you run the ball for 15 or 20 yards. And that's exactly what Washington State's doing. I can't remember a time, even when uh, Bill Doba was in Pullman, when I got to school, when they ran the ball this effectively. I got to school right after Ghost left, so I, I don't have a reference point for personal watching of it. But th- there has not been an effective runner in this offense for the last three-plus years until you have now Gerard Wicks, Jamal Morrow, and Keith Harrington. That, for me, has been the biggest revelation this year. Luke Falk's a really good quarterback. 21 TDs to four interceptions. That That's better, and he's getting better at getting through his progressions quicker, getting rid of the ball quicker. He's even doing better at that. That complaint we'd had about him earlier in the season is evaporating. What is astonishing me is just how effective running the football has been. And the offensive line has to get a lot of credit for that because these guys are, they have a lot of seniority. They've been playing well together. But when you finally have the athletes at running back, when you finally have a bruiser in Gerard Wicks, when you have Jamal Morrow, who's kind of an all-purpose guy, and you have Keith Harrington, who can hit a gap in the offensive line quicker than light, when you have all of those things, when you can put all of those things together, you have such an effective running game that, you know, the offense looks different to people. Oh, we never run the ball this much before. Is Mike Leach finally adapting and listening to people and running the ball more? No! This is what he has always wanted out of the air raid. You need good running backs in the air raid to be able to take advantage of the times when the defense sells out to defend the pass. Now, they could do that in previous years because WSU's running backs weren't as good. The offensive line wasn't as good. You could sell out to defend the pass because you weren't really scared of the running game. And I'll admit, Connor Halliday wasn't as willing to check into a run when he should have been as Luke Falk is willing to do. Luke Falk is much more willing to check into a run, to check into a play that he is going to find advantageous. And, you know, it, like we'll go back to that Oregon game, that fourth down in overtime when he had the fortitude on a fourth down to check into a run when he saw a run box. It may have been fourth and short. It may have been, you know, right up against the goal line, but he still had the fortitude to check into a fourth and short in that game situation. Overtime, game's on the line. You don't pick up at least the first down or score here. Game's over. All that comeback, everything is is all for naught. It doesn't matter anymore. But he had the intestinal fortitude to check into a run there. Or he just knew the system. He knew that that was set up for a run. And you are finally seeing that in this offense. You're seeing Gerard Wicks, Jamal Morrow, and Keith Harrington pick up over five yards a rush every time they touch the ball. Their yards per carry average has been over five yards for the last two games. That is so, so important in this offense. You have to have the defense respect the run a little bit. They have to always have it in the back of their mind that there's a possibility Luke Falk could run the football or choose to run the football. They always have to have that in the back of their mind because that's what makes the passing game effective. Is if they can't just sell out to defend the pass... It opens up those windows better. You can't just sit back and zone coverage and cover all those windows. And it just makes it more effective, makes it better. 
when you have that running game. So Mike Leach isn't changing this offense. This offense is finally running the way he wants it to be run. And you did, you have not seen a better example of it than that first half against Oregon State. Like Jeff said on Monday, I'm kind of just going to forget about the second half because, you know, it, it wasn't encouraging to come out and watch them let Oregon State get back to within, I think it was, what, two touchdowns in that game? But you've never seen them... This team, no matter who is on it, has never played with a lead like that before. Ever. They've never come out in the first half of a game and so thoroughly dominated an FBS opponent that that they, they can just basically sit back, play some conservative football, and just go ahead and win the game. They didn't know how to play in a game where you're up four touchdowns at halftime. And I, I don't blame them for that. They would have no reason to know how to play in a game like that. They would have no reason to know how to effectively close out a game when you're up by that much. When you're up by 28 points at halftime, and you should have been up by 35 points at halftime, special teams, when you should have been up by 35 points at halftime, you have no idea. If you're a young team like that who's never had a lead by that before, or maybe a rebuilding program would be more fair, you have no idea how to play a game like that. You know, especially with an offense where you pass, 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 and you obviously don't want to do that because passing stops the clock and allows more time. And Oregon State was going to run the football. They were always going to probably run the clock out anyway. But you just don't know how to put a game away anymore. And you saw them get a lot more conservative. I don't think they really went downfield in the second half as much against Oregon State, at least to the eye test they didn't. So they did get more conservative, but again, they weren't picking up the first downs they needed to pick up. And I would have liked to have seen them come out and at least score a couple of touchdowns in the second half. And what I said was I wanted to see Peyton Bender for most of the fourth quarter. We did get him at the end of the game a little bit. He's still, you know, a little bit of a raw product. You can certainly see why the coaches like him. Dude's got a cannon, but he almost got River Craycraft beheaded on one play. So you can see why they go with Luke Falk over Peyton Bender. Although I will point out on the depth chart this week, just to show you, I don't, I don't think Mike Leach has a disdain for depth charts. Maybe he does, but again, I, I don't care. This is not, this is not to an indictment of Mike Leach at all. It still says Luke Falk or Peyton Bender at quarterback. <laughs> it just like, like Mike, do you want to change the depth chart? Nah, just put it out again. I don't care. It just, it, you know, it, but it, it doesn't matter in the air raid offense because the wide receiver depth chart, quote unquote, is just so, you know, it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to get their touches. Same thing with running back. It's, you know, Wicks, Morrow, and Harrington are almost completely interchangeable. They they do certain things the coaches like that they might put a certain back in for a situation, but it doesn't really, you know, I, I just, I found that hilarious. I just, I thought it was funny, but you know, Mike Leach probably doesn't really care about the depth chart and he, he doesn't have to, he, you know, most coaches don't, but you know, whatever. Um, I thought it was funny. Um, you, you haven't seen them play with a lead like that before. They've never had to play with a lead that for the other team is basically insurmountable. Especially for a team like Oregon State, which isn't going to throw the football a ton. They're going to run the football, so they're pretty much going to run the clock out on themselves. All you had to do, and the defense did this to, for a, to a large extent, is basically limit a play that Oregon State's going to, you know, they're going to get the ball and they're going to house it on one play. You basically have to limit them from doing that. You just need to go out there. You need to hold down the fort for 30 minutes. And they did that. Even if you know WSU hadn't scored another point in the entire game, they still would have won by two touchdowns. So the second half 
performance is a little discouraging, but I think a lot of it has to do with, like Jeff said earlier this week, you just you, they never played with a lead that huge before. When have they ever played up 28 points at halftime to an FBS opponent, especially one in their own conference? A team that they they were they went blow for blow with last year. I mean, punch counter punch punch counter punch last year. And it took them it took that to win that game in Corvallis last year. And I realize Oregon State's not as good as they were last year, but to to then so thoroughly dominate that team the next year in Pullman, and especially, especially Oregon State, a team that so many times before has just ruined a WSU season. 2011 at home, in Seattle rather, basically got Paul Wolf fired. 2013, they absolutely whooped up on you in Pullman in a year you went to a bowl game. 2007, my clothes still aren't dry from going to that game. So it, the, the Oregon State, for whatever reason, has been that demon you had to slay in Pullman. And Craig wrote about that on Saturday morning. And now you can do, you can say what Jim Carrey said in Ace Ventura: "I have exercised the demon." Oregon State was that monkey on your back. It had been sitting on your back for so long coming to Pullman. They they always seem to play well in Pullman for some reason. And now you went out there and you just whooped them. J.R. Ross, Jim Ross would have been just apoplectic in, in the booth calling that game. My God, don't do it to him. Don't do it to him. My God. You went out and you finally did what what we've been waiting for for so long. You went out and you kicked the ass of somebody whose ass you should kick. Oregon State's not a good football team. Washington State is getting better. You should whoop Oregon State's ass. They did that. When Colorado comes to Pullman in November, Colorado, a better team than Oregon State? Yeah, probably. But still a team you should probably beat by at least two or three touchdowns. You need to do that. You need to keep doing this to prove that you have turned the corner. And we said this last week. You can't just beat... The Oregon win isn't just going to stand by itself if you go the rest of the year and you don't win, win maybe one more football game. It won't matter because the team has won games like that before. They've won games like the one they won in Eugene previously. But it didn't result in that program getting around the corner. Following that up with an absolutely thorough molly whooping of a team you should do that to was what we needed to see and they did it. Has this team turned the corner? I think they're closer than they've ever been. I don't know if I'm ready to declare them having been there yet or being there yet. A really good performance against Arizona, a la losing by less than the spread. A very close performance where you're playing well, eliminating mistakes, or going to Tucson and winning. And yes, the possibility of game day coming to Pullman for Halloween is there. I'm not going. I'm going to not going to talk about it that this week. Outside of that, but going to Arizona. Either winning the game or playing an exceptionally close game where you're competitive for 60 minutes. 
You're in there close, and you're not doing what you did at Cal. A game you should have won, and you're giving it away. If you go punch for punch with Arizona and lose that football game, I can't complain too much. You went to Tucson. You beat you. You tried to beat a team that is as good or better than you, and you lost the game. Okay, that's no biggie. Stanford comes to town on Halloween. They're a really good football team. Probably not going to win that football game. But for me, the rest of the season, you need to see them do that to kind of say they've turned the corner. But the other thing to say they've turned the corner, they've got six games to win two. Nobody would have seen that coming after the opening weekend. I sure as hell wouldn't have. And I said as much a couple of weeks ago, I don't think they're a bull-bound team. But you now have six weeks to win two. You have six tries to get two victories. A very, very doable proposition. Something that is very doable with the schedule you have remaining, especially in November. That is not an especially tough November schedule. Even UCLA is reeling. Arizona State at home, UCLA in Pasadena, Colorado at home, the Apple Cup against an offense that couldn't throw its way out of a paper bag. All four are winnable. All four are games that you can win. And in fact, the one against Colorado is one you should win, and the one against ASU is one you probably could. Six to win two. It's all you got to do. And this team may have finally turned the corner if they can do that, especially coming back after that awful season opening loss. Jason Bartell, AZ Desert Swarm, talk about the Wildcats coming up next here on the Coop Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, uh, we got to talk about uh, the team Washington State's going to be playing. Another team sitting on a two-game winning streak right now, the Arizona Wildcats uh, in Tucson. Also in Tucson is Jason Bartell from AZ Desert Swarm, our uh, our sister blog, I guess we could call it, our sister blog uh, on SB Nation. Uh, Jason, so far this year, kind of up and down for the University of Arizona, but they're sitting with... Uh, an identical record to Washington State. How would you uh, kind of evaluate their season thus far? You know, um, it's tough because they've won the five games that they should have. I mean, it's no secret that Arizona's non-conference schedule is one of the weakest in the country this year. Mm -hmm. And then playing UCLA and kind of getting smoked by UCLA at home was a little surprising, but considering all the injuries that have happened on defense, especially at linebacker. And then going into Stanford, that was just another beatdown waiting to happen pretty much with the personnel that was available. Mm-hmm. So I'd say at five and two, they're pretty much where we thought they would be. It just hasn't been as impressive as maybe we thought it would be. Yeah. So my apologies, five and two, actually, they haven't had 
uh, a bye week just yet. So it's it's been you yeah. know seven I complete mean, weeks. Uh, yeah, bye seven. Weeks are sort of a hot topic down here. Arizona, <laughs> yeah. Arizona yes. Doesn't have a bye week this year. Oh well, that's oh that's, well, that's are they playing Hawaii later this year or is that? Uh, uh, so the bye week is technically the last regular season week of the Pac-12 year before the championship game so there is no bye week in the regular season part. yeah that doesn't even know that's not that's not a bye week that's definitely not no yeah. that, that nope. doesn't count <laughs> um so so far this year uh, a new solomon's you know looks like a guy who's maturing rather nicely he's thrown 13 touchdowns hasn't thrown an interception completing about 63 percent of his passes uh he's rushing the ball okay as well so for wsu fans we've seen this guy uh, one year already up in Pullman when uh, things really didn't go WSU's way last year. How is he kind of developing as a quarterback this year? Is he getting better, worse, about the same? What does he look like this year? Well, you know, he had been better decision-making-wise because the, the second part of last year he was also dealing with an ankle injury that kind of limited him in that last part of the schedule where Arizona started to kind of collapse on itself a mm-hmm. little bit. But, like, I would have, until the third quarter of last week's game against Colorado, I would have told you that Anu was doing great, but then Richrod pulled Anu in the mm-hmm. third quarter and put in Gerard Randall, and that kind of sparked Arizona to that win. Like, they were down seven at the time when Randall come in, mm-hmm. came in, and he put them up 14 points five minutes later, But and there's been some indication that Randall might even get the start this week against Washington State, depending on how Richrod sees the... Um, matchups playing out Mm -hmm. but like Anu's decision making is definitely better this year it's just um, his competition behind him is better now too and it's just the lack of big plays I think is what's kind of hurting this offense Mm -hmm. he he can't connect on the long ball consistently at all and Mm -hmm. that's kind of hampering everything when it comes to the offense right now now there's a there's a big difference for Cook fans who may not know, and I, I wouldn't blame them for not knowing. Uh, Randall hasn't played a ton this year. He's attempted 50 passes. He's also uh, run the ball 48 times. He's more of a running quarterback, isn't he? He's he's just not as as uh, liable to throw the ball as Solomon is when he's in there. Right. Yeah. Randall's definitely run first kind of guy. Like everyone will tell you that. Um, the, his problem is that he just throws the ball so hard every single time that he just has <laughs> he has no touch on any of his passes. Yeah. But um, I mean the three passes he threw against Colorado, he completed all of those, so that was a nice change of pace. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he's definitely a run first kind of guy who who has multiple fifty plus yard touchdown runs in mm-hmm. the limited games that he's played in. Yeah, 554 rushing yards on 48 attempts. So he's he's averaging well over 11 yards per attempt. So for Washington State, that's you know an issue they've been facing. Some read option quarterbacks this year, quarterbacks that are opted to run more, and they've uh, had a hard time against them. Arizona's offensive line also doing a really good job this year, uh, protecting the quarterback pretty well, Jason, and not not really allowing too many people to get back there into the backfield. So when the quarterbacks do have t- do want to go back to throw, it seems like they are getting plenty of time. Uh, yeah, I'd agree for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that is Anu's ability. Like He's not necessarily a run threat, but he can definitely escape the pocket when he has to. Mm-hmm. And then when when then when Gerard's playing, he just takes off running, and the defensive line can't get him behind the line to get a sack. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the offensive line's been good for the most part. There's been a lot of um, talk about our center position because – 
Carter Wood went um, looked like he was going to be the starting center, but has a chronic foot injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of his career now. Mm-hmm. So Cayman Bundage made the shift from guard to center, and he's um, been struggling with snaps, to say the least, in a couple mm-hmm. of the games, especially the UCLA and Colorado games. And um, so that has people a bit worried because he's been snapping to the side of the quarterbacks and above their heads. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been the biggest issue on the offensive line so far this year is just getting the ball to the quarterback consistently. Mm-hmm. Jason Bartell from AZ Desert Swarm, our sister blog on the SB Nation Network, joins us to talk about uh, the Arizona Wildcats. And it seems like receiver-wise, uh, plenty of talent for uh, Arizona between Caleb Jones, David Richards, Johnny Jackson, lots of guys who you can really count on to catch the ball, go a long way with it. They're all averaging over 10 yards a catch. So this receiving core, obviously a big strength of this Arizona team, and they were thought, I think, before the season to be one of the best in the conference, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I would say that. Like, um, Pretty much everyone was back from last year's team except Austin Hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, Austin Hill graduated, but everyone else came back, and big things were expected from a guy like Caleb Jones and I think most would say, and I'm definitely one of those people, that he's underperformed so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of, the lack of targets his way has been kind of surprising, and I don't know if that's just because defenses are focusing on covering him, and that's allowed David Richards to have a career year that he's having so far. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Johnny Jackson, that guy um, played his, fre- he's a redshirt senior now, his freshman year he played wide receiver, and then he made the switch to safety, and he was a safety going into fall camp this year, and then with a couple injuries, Rich Rod moved him back to wide receiver, and it yeah definitely paid off in a huge way for him. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit about the defense now, because uh, Arizona, you know, you talked about it earlier. Some games have gone; they've gone very well for them. They beat UTSA by ten points, handled Nevada pretty easily, just destroyed Northern Arizona, which they should. Took care of business against Oregon State, came back against Colorado, but boy, those glaring losses against UCLA and Stanford two good football teams but they gave up an awful lot of points what's kind of been the biggest issue with the defense so far this year for Arizona I think it probably not the stronger unit of the two when we talk about the offense or defense but what's been the biggest problem in your mind for them defensively uh well missing Scooby Bright is Mm -hmm. the biggest issue I mean that guy he won every national defensive player of the year award last year yeah and um He's essentially only played five quarters this year, and he won't play this week. Um, it's looking like maybe the USC game in two weeks is when he'll maybe come back with his foot sprain that he has right now. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, those UCLA and Stanford games were just because the linebackers have been decimated by injuries, and it's not so Scooby right. It's um, the second-best linebacker, Derek Turi-Turi, hasn't been able to play much this year either. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just – the front six with a three-three-five, you have to get pressure from the linebackers because you're relying on the linemen to tie up the O linemen on the other team. Mm-hmm. And those line, linebackers just haven't been able to get into the backfield very consistently. Mm-hmm. I think we saw in these last two games against Oregon State and Colorado, a guy like Paul McGlure, a junior college transfer, is really he moved from safety to linebacker before the Oregon State game, and he's mm-hmm. looked really good at linebackers. So I'd expect him to be in on a lot of plays moving forward but it's just that front six just couldn't get anything going in those horrible 
games against UCLA and Stanford. We talked about this a little bit. It seems like, like you said, that they're having a hard time getting things going. They're not sacking the quarterback too much. That probably worries you a little bit against a team like WSU, who's apt to throw the football, and their offensive line's done a decent job protecting Falk so far this year. How is Arizona's secondary look? Is it a, a secondary that you've been able to count on to protect the pass? Do you guys, it's because at WSU we haven't really seen what our secondary could do yet because they faced a bunch of read option quarterbacks. But is that the strength of the defense so far this year with the linebackers not playing quite up to snuff, or is it still something that Arizona fans, yourself included, might be a little worried about? Oh no, it's definitely something that I'm still worried about. Um, <laughs> the corners, they the corners had a pretty big problem against Colorado last week. Yeah, trying to, um, trying to cover Nelson Spruce and Shea Fields, it was um, it was interesting to watch, to say the least. That's a poli- that's a polite way to put uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> but like, um, hopefully, a guy like Devontae Neal is back this week. He's missed the last two weeks with a hamstring injury. And there's a chance that he'll be back at corner this week, which will help mm-hmm. because um, he made the switch from wide receiver to corner this year, and he's been the best corner, most consistent corner by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the safeties, like they just haven't been that great in pass coverage this year. Like they're good at getting in the run game and making plays in the run game, but pass mm-hmm. coverage for the safeties this year has definitely been concerning too. So just. The defense overall going into this Washington State game just doesn't look like a very good matchup for mm-hmm. Arizona. Please tell me that you don't have a good special teams unit, that you have like no good returners, because that's been the biggest issue <laughs> Washington State's had all year is their special teams again has been a huge problem, and they've allowed uh, 28 points to be scored on this team, including two touchdowns in the Rutgers game, which almost gave the game away, uh, if not for that last-second drive from Luke Falk and company. Please tell me y'all got, like, some crappy kid on crutches who's returning punts for you and returning <laughs> kicks or something. I mean, our, our returners themselves are good, but the blocking in front of them isn't necessarily anything to write home about. Okay. <laughs> I mean, our, we've only had two punts returnable all year. There's only been two instances where Arizona's actually returned a punt and not fair caught it. Okay. Um, so there's... I mean, and that, and you guys probably remember Devontae Neal taking a punt back in Washington State last year. Oh no! Oh only, no! I'm. Uh, that was the only one that we had last year, <laughs> or the year before. So. Jason, they there were so many of them. They all bleed together for me. So no, yeah. I, I, I I don't quite remember it. But thank. That oh. one stands out for us because that's the only good special team story I think I've seen in two years from Arizona. Well, you hear that, guys. <laughs> The special teams was so bad last year, it was the only time Arizona's done anything good on special teams in two years. <laughs> Jason Bartell from AZ Desert Swarm joining us. Um, this is Rich Rod's uh, third or fourth year. I can't remember which one it is. Four. Fourth year uh, in Tucson. And things seem to be uh, in relatively good shape from an outside perspective uh, up here in the great Northwest. But... Uh, for Arizona fans, how satisfied, dissatisfied are they with the job he's done so far? Oh, um, these four years have been unprecedented in mm-hmm. the history of Arizona football. Yeah, I mean, like last year going ten and four—that's the third ten-win season in school history. Mm-hmm. Like, we're still talking about a school that's never been in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
the only dissatisfaction is when people watch the defense sometimes and they wonder if Castillo's three three five works against Pac twelve offenses. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the satisfaction with Richrod in as a whole is definitely something that like I mean, you might see people criticize Richrod, but that's like a very very vast minority of the fan base mm-hmm. that would be upset with him. He's kind of a quirky dude too. Like when you talk to him, you see him in interviews. He's he's kind of like Mike Leach in a way where. You know, he's going to give you the answer he wants to give you sometimes, and he'll tell you a story he wants to tell you. What's what's kind of your favorite moment, if you have one, of him giving an interview where he just said something, you know, either got led down a road that he wasn't expecting to go down, or he just said something so completely off the wall and stupid that you had to laugh at it? I just, uh, Halloween two years ago, we were talking about Halloween costumes and stuff, and he mm-hmm. was talking about how as a kid his parents made him dress up as a bush <laughs> like like not like a president bush but like a like a plant like a plant yeah <laughs> and then the picture came and then the football twitter tweeted out a picture the next day and there was a picture of rich rod as a kid with a whole bunch of sticks taped to it <laughs> but, like, but he said that that was like the most traumatizing experience of his childhood and he doesn't celebrate halloween anymore because of it <laughs> that, that was amazing no wonder he wasn't. No wonder he wasn't. This weekend was looking at that story that he told of Leach swimming in a lagoon. Oh yeah. At Pacto Media Days, I was going back and re- watching that this week, and yeah, there's some weird stories that come out of him. So now, okay, but now that we found out that he once he once got dressed up as a literal bush for Halloween, what's what's his objection with the late start time on Halloween? Then, if he doesn't like celebrating <laughs> Halloween, he should be pretty happy about that, right? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, sit, I was sitting right in front of him when he was going off on the start times and uh-huh. stuff, and oh my god, that was, that was some A-plus Rich Rod right there, like, he just, he was not afraid of going after the Pac-12 in those 10 minutes, like, that was something else, well, watching, for fo- watching that come out of him. Right, for folks who may not be familiar with it, just quickly summarize, because he, he was not happy with, you know, I don't think a lot of folks are happy with a game starting at 8 o'clock at night. It's just part of the new reality of the TV contract. But explain what exactly his biggest objection and just kind of the too-long-didn't-listen summary of of what his rant was all about. Right, so we kind of touched on it earlier, but like the lack of bye weeks has been something that he harps on every single week. Mm-hmm. And um, so this has to do with like this game against Washington State's at 1 o'clock, and it's a home game. And then... They just got back from a 7 o'clock road game at Colorado and then go back to Washington the week after next and play at 8. Mm-hmm. And so he was just – and then there's another road game against USC the week after that. So he was just – like he went off on the Pac-12 saying that they were concerned about um, student-athlete welfare because there's no time for the Arizona players to rest because mm-hmm. they're getting back from road trips at 5 or 6 in the morning and then turn around and have to – start preparing for next week because there are no bye weeks there are no days off every game's on a saturday this year so there's just none of those days off built into their schedule and having those late road trips especially going from tucson to seattle that's a long flight yep i mean so they'll get back at five thirty-six in the morning and then come right back and start practice and stuff that sunday afternoon to get ready for usc the next week so he was just it was all a student athlete welfare kind of thing well, he's he's good for a good rant every once in a while, just like Mike Leach is. So I I always like listening to Rich Rod, uh, Jason Bartell from AZ Desert Swarm joining us. I guess the last question I have for him is how does he see 
How do you see this weekend going, Jason? I, you know, Arizona uh, last year whooped up on WSU. The year before that, WSU beat Arizona uh, in Tucson. So it's been back and forth. Two teams on uh, two-game winning streaks. Uh, what do you see happening this weekend uh, in the Sonoran Desert? I mean, see a lot of points come in. I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Winner of this game is probably above fifty somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm. I mean, like the way that. Um, Arizona has played the last couple of weeks. I would think that that with getting a mix of Andrew and Gerard will be enough to get the offense going against Washington State. And I'm going to pick Arizona to win. I'm not going to say it's going to be clo- or a blowout. I'm going to say it's probably like a 51-41 kind of game that Arizona pulls out. If you like points, Jason says to watch this game. If you like, if you like yourself some puntos, watch that. And I said punt puntos. Puntos, not the other naughty word. Jason Bartell from Hazy Desert Swarm joining us. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. We're going to make fun of some Husky fans next in a really polite way. Just trust me here on the Coop Center app. back here on the Coog Center Hour as we march towards the Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything to end the show and our prediction about uh, what's going to happen in Tucson this week. And I do want to, uh, normally we have two guests lined up, but and I could have saved this for the Dunderhead of the Week, but technically that's only supposed to be a four minute long segment at most, or at least that's what I try to limit myself to. Um... <laughs> Here's here's something that kind of blew me away last Saturday when Washington played Oregon. There was apparently an expectation from some Husky fans that Washington State fans would be rooting for them because they rooted for Washington State when they played Oregon. And if you followed the game on Twitter at all, and if you don't, I can quickly summarize here. A young man named Jared um, got rather angry and uh, said that uh, he complimented the Coog fans who got it and told the rest of us to F off for not getting it because he rooted for WSU last week. So, you're and you're not rooting for us last week, you, or this week, you don't get it. Let me explain something to a lot of Husky fans who were angry about it, who didn't appreciate it, who didn't appreciate the ribbing WSU fans were giving them for their football team losing for the dozenth straight time to Oregon in a rivalry, apparently, 
Your real rival has now beaten you 12 times in a row. And let me remind you that your the other school, who you don't think is your real rival, has never lost to you that many times in a row before. Ever. Mm-mm, never done it. Let me explain something. Washington. I've, I've heard the opinion from Washington fans before that WSU is your little brother. W or our little brother. WSU is our little brother. The same attitude that WSU fans have towards U Dub, the general distaste, the dislike, the hatred. I don't, you know, I don't want to go with hatred, but dislike. I don't like them. I don't like their sports teams. I want them to lose. Whatever is the exact same attitude U Dub fans have towards Oregon. It is the exact same. There is no difference whatsoever in the attitude. Regardless of whether Oregon is your real rival or not, and I still stand on the side of they are not your real rival. We are still your real rival, whether you want to believe it or not. We play you more competitively, I'll tell you that much. Um, (laughs) It is the exact same attitude. So do not be surprised... When Washington State fans, who by and large, maybe I'm in a minority here when I say this, I have no problem with Oregon. I have no problem with them at all. They are uh, the football. I've never really interacted with a lot of their fans. I've never cared about their football team was always been really good. I've never hated the football team. I've never really disliked their fans. Some of them are bandwagoners, sure, but you always get that when a football, any team goes from not so good to really good. It always happens. It's just, it's how sports works, guys. It always happens. I have never disliked Oregon to the level that I dislike the University of Washington athletic teams. And maybe it's not even the athletic teams because I actually like Lorenzo Romar. He's a really nice guy. I've met him twice. Super nice dude. Um, so it's kind of kind of hard to dislike a guy who you like. Um, but maybe it has more to do with the always perceived superiority complex from some UW fans who frequently did not go to the school. I find to be the hardest fans to deal with to put it politically correctly I have a really hard time taking it seriously when you get worked up about the fact that WSU fans are teasing you about losing to Oregon for the 12th straight time when you're taking it on the shoulder when you're taking it when you're taking it hard when 3 weeks before I had watched you take so much pleasure in Oregon getting their ass kicked by Utah. It's the exact same thing. Do not come at me with, well, we rooted for you, you need to root for us, when the relationship, you view the relationship as exactly the same. You hate everything about Oregon. Most WSU fans hate everything about the U. Imagine those little, the little alligator mouths. Like in math, you know, greater than, less than. I don't know what the name for it is. Maybe because I went to WSU, I don't know what the name is. I don't know, I just, they're alligator mouth. That's what I learned in math because I didn't take math past like 11th grade because I'm a comm major. <laughs> um, 
It's Oregon at the front, alligator mouth by UW, alligator mouth by WSU. Not meaning greater than in any way, but that's just how the relationship works in this context. Eldest brother, middle brother, youngest brother. Youngest brother hates the middle brother. Middle brother hates the older brother. Youngest brother really doesn't give a damn about the older brother. Maybe this is an awful analogy, but I'm going to keep going because I'm not editing anything out. <laughs> um, the relationship you have with UO, UW fans, the relationship you have with them is the exact same one we have with you. I once worked for the University of Washington. I don't have as much animosity towards them as other people. I just don't care. I just don't care about how well your your athletic teams do. I, I, I really don't. It, it just... I, I don't have the level of dislike that a lot of people do have, but it's it just more of a function of a lack of caring. And I once worked for you. The checks were lovely. They pay, pay for my hotel or my honeymoon, so thank you. Um, <laughs> but you, you can't have that attitude where you're surprised by how WSU fans are reacting to that game when you reacted the exact same way to your perceived rival getting their crap kicked in by the Utes. It's the exact same thing. You're always going to want that your rival, your quote-unquote rival, to lose games. That's how sports works. Seahawks fans always want the 49ers to lose. Michigan fans always want Ohio State to lose. Auburn fans always want Alabama to lose. SC fans always want UCLA to lose. That is how sports works works there is no rooting for you when you're playing someone else I don't like because I don't care about Oregon and here's the other thing your sympathy one week does not buy my sympathy for you the next or at a future date you rooting for me does not buy my allegiance to you for a game you would like it to happen in. I'm not going to root for you just because you rooted for me. How am I obligated to root for you in any context? That goes for any rivalry. Why, why would an Ohio State fan be obligated to root for Michigan State when they play, I don't know, anybody other than Michigan? Or why would a Michigan, you know, why why would a Michigan fan expect an Ohio State fan to have sympathy for them in a game where they play Michigan State? You never would. Because Ohio State doesn't care about Michigan State. I don't care about Oregon. I don't care. They can be good, they can be bad. I don't care either way. Is it fun to beat them at Autzen Stadium? Hell yeah. Because they're a good team or they have been a really good team. Do some WSU fans detest Oregon? You bet. But not to the level they dislike you a dub. And I I, I really, I, this is a, I don't know why for some UW fans it was such a hard concept to grasp. This is like, it's, it's not like 1984 where we've always been at war with Eurasia. Or we've always been at war with East Asia. WSU fans have always, 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 always disliked the U. 
It is the original rival, the original one we don't like. Just period. End of discussion. No one will ever, ever, ever supersede it for... And we could go over the litany of friggin' reasons why it never will happen for the WSU fan base. Why no one will ever be put on a higher rival pedestal than Washington, in all likelihood. Do not ever, ever, ever expect me to root for Washington. And if you don't get it, that's fine. But don't expect it. And especially, don't expect it after you tell... Well, I rooted for you. Great. That was a mistake. (laughs) If you were expecting love from me because of that, if you were expecting reciprocation, well, you got played, didn't you? Some of the biggest UW fans I know never went to the university. Ever. Every time I deal with someone who actually went to the U who is a big fan, my interactions almost always come off better. The ribbing's funner. You know, the the jokes are funner. All that is funner. Because we both went to the institution we love. My interactions that are awful, that are stupid, are almost always with people who did not go to the U. Now, you have a college football team in a big metropolitan area. You're going to pick up fans who didn't go to that school. It just, it happens. That's fine. No school does not have, you know, bandwagon fans who just never went there. They hop on, you know, whatever, that are in a big metro area. SC's got plenty of them. UCLA's got plenty of them. Ohio State's got plenty of them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. My problem is, is that I usually get the interaction, the misunderstanding of the rivalry from fans who didn't go to the U. You folks who went to the U a dub, they know that's the they know it's a rivalry. They would they would never expect a WSU fan to root for U a dub. Ever. Never, ever, ever. Did they know that? It's a rivalry, okay? And even if you don't think it is, you need to at least understand that WSU fans do not like the U-Dub. So you need to understand that there's no way they could ever, ever root for them. And that's what it comes down to. The biggest thing it comes down to for me is you need to understand that. On the whole, as a fan base, WSU does not like the U-Dub. On the whole, as a fan base, the UW does not like Oregon. You cannot expect to have the exact same attitude WSU fans had towards the UW on Saturday three weeks earlier against Oregon. You can't be flabbergasted by that attitude then if you have had it not a month prior towards someone else. You can't be. There is one exception to the rule. One exception to when I will root openly for the University of Washington. And that is when you play Gonzaga in basketball. I detest Gonzaga in basketball so much more than the University of Washington. So much more. 
So please, I don't know if you play him this year. I know you play him definitely next year. I I'm, I won't wear Husky colors, but I will root for them with you at a bar, whatever. Invite me to your bar. I will I will wear neutral clothing or a WSU shirt, but I will root with you when your basketball team plays Gonzaga. I promise you that. Coming up next, Underhead of the Week, ask Michael anything here on the Coop Center. Thunderhead of the week time after a really good show. I think one of our best ones. I think we do a great one every week. But uh, Alan Siegel did a listicle for USA Today. And I know it's a listicle. Okay? I know I shouldn't take it seriously. And I know it's stupid. 10 stadiums with the best atmosphere in college football. Number three is the Rose Bowl. That's just wrong for anything but the actual Rose Bowl. If you ever go to a Bruins game there, it's an awful atmosphere. The rest of the list, I don't really have a problem with. Army at number nine, but I've never been to a game at Army. Until you get to number 10 on the list of stadiums with the best atmosphere in college football, the stadium at number 10... That is ahead of Bryant-Denny Stadium, ahead of Notre Dame Stadium, ahead of Camp Randall Stadium. Is the Kibbe Dome. In Moscow. Home of the Vandals. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't even know the last time... Idaho had more than 13,000, 14,000. The, the capacity is like 16,000. And I will admit, it's a dome. So it's going to get loud in there if those 16,000 people are very loud. It will get loud. But the last time Idaho fans had a reason to be loud was what? The year they went to a bowl game, which was 2007 or 8? 2007, 8 or 9? And even then... It had been how long before since they'd had a really good football team? But 10th best atmosphere in college football, according to Alan Siegel. I have to assume that it's a joke that he put it at number 10. Because there, there's no way in hell that Idaho's even in the top 100 for atmosphere in college football. They, <laughs> I love this part. In late fall, winter is converted to the Cowan Spectrum. Like, that's an advantage for it. They put a friggin' curtain up 
It looks awful. I've been to a couple basketball games there on board Wednesday night. We were really bored on a few Wednesday nights in school, and we didn't feel like drinking. So we went to watch Idaho play whoever in the Cowan Spectrum. My friends are weird. Dunderhead of the Week, Alan Siegel, for saying Idaho has the 10th best atmosphere in college football in the Kibbe Dome. Oof. Not good. Let's ask me anything. Michael, is the Kibbe Dome really a top ten? No. <laughs> that would be really stupid. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. At Mr. Tommy G, man, if Mike Leach was a trick-or-treat candy, which kind would he be? 100 grand bar? Can I make a joke about his salary here? Can I do that? At Luke F1281, Luke Fowler, why do we always play like poop in Arizona? I know Luke. He, he won't cuss. He's such a lovely, he's a lovely guy. Uh, Luke, we played okay in Arizona two years ago. It's just Tempe where we always play like crap. But they played well in Tucson a couple years ago, so they just got a chance. At the Martin Party defend Pullman, Shalom Luani had a pretty sweet somersault after his first INT against Oregon State. Do you have any sweet celebration moves? Here's a funny story. Michael Bennett actually stole his churn the butter thing from me. That thing Michael Bennett's not allowed to do on sacks anymore. He actually stole that from me. Like, he saw me do that and went, that is so awesome and sexy that he actually took it from me. That's a true story. I'm serious. Friend of the show and Pac-12 Networks, play-by-play guy, studio host, does everything for him. Mr. J.B. Long asks, this is a question for everybody, but I'll answer it. I don't, I don't think it was quite, uh, I, I could answer it fully on Twitter. If you could erase your Portland State loss, but you would have to give up your Oregon win in exchange, how many would make the deal? I know I wouldn't. And I don't think there's a lot of people that will. We look back on that Portland State loss, and it was awful. But that win against Oregon was, oh man, that was, that was just, that was just completely bonkers and awesome. And, and the other thing I said, like I said at the beginning of the show, you're in the same position now. Or I guess I didn't say this. You're in the same position now, with you know, no matter who you beat. So you can either be four and two with a win over Portland State, but a loss to Oregon, or four and two with a loss to Portland State, but a win over Oregon. I'll take the second one. I just. The ability to rub that, especially in your rival's face, that you've beaten them twice since the last time they've even managed to do it. You did it once down in Eugene, too. Technically three times, but they beat them like two weeks after you did in 2003, so I don't really count that. So, yeah, I, I would definitely take what the situation they're in now as opposed to that other one. But I think that's a good question, you know, because so many people hated that loss so much. That's a really good question. Uh, Arizona 42, Washington State 38. Defense just can't do enough against uh, Arizona. They're going to pass. They're going to run. They're going to probably be the most complete offense uh, you've seen since Cal. Hopefully I am wrong and we're 5-2 and two looking at game day in the face on Sunday for Halloween and Pullman. We'll see you guys next week on the Kook Center Hour.